Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. guys welcome back to the tragedy of cinema episode 20 i'm your host jimbo and my co-host is terrence hello hello (laughs) howdy howdy uh today we'll be discussing the godfather this was uh samuel farrell's pick um he's been waiting on this for a long time (laughs) yeah we've been giving him grief for a long time so it's actually finally happening sam no just kidding we're going on to another movie (laughs) actually we're going to (laughs) rainbow bright no uh so sam i hope we do it justice for you um we are doing this episode a little bit differently. Um, I actually have an interview with Sam that we're going to put in here towards the end of the program. Also, I have some uh, sound bites or sound clips from the actual uh, Francis Ford Coppola 
uh, Marlon Brando and uh, one from Al Pacino. So you're going to get to hear in their own voice uh, some of the stuff that happened. Um, so Terrence, I'm going to let you off this week. I'm not giving you any question. I'm not giving you any Oh, but I like the today questions. in history. Well, I can make up one. <laughs> Come up with the question. Got to okay. do the question. Question is, which mafia member would you like to be in life? So wait, wait, would mafia member yeah. of like uh, uh, gangster mafia, whatever? Of like like all movies or uh, real life movies? Oh, real life whatever. movies. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel no. like <laughs> <laughs> you wanted it. You got no, it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. This is what I like. Um... If I was to be a made man, so to speak, uh, I'd probably, let's see, Sopranos had it pretty made. I mean, they highlighted a whole different issue. I need but, one person. I don't need a family group. I need one person. Who oh, like, who would, who who would, would I be? Yeah, I didn't say. Well, in that case, I definitely wouldn't want to be Tony Soprano. <laughs> that dude was all kinds of messed up. Let's jump over to, oh, man. Honestly, Vito, only because he made it to a ripe old age, which is not very common <laughs> when it comes to the mob lifestyle, right. like to make it to that. I mean, given he still got his in the end, but it's, it's it, to make it to that ripe old age, not bad. Um, for me, I'd have to go with somebody like John Dillinger, yeah. uh, just for the fact that um, he was kind of like Robin Hood. Um, he That's would true. He would still, but yet he would also take care of... You know, people that needed help. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, they're getting ready to exhume his body here in Indianapolis. Uh, oh, really? On 38th Street. Yep. Because his family don't know if that's actually him that's in the grave. So, but that's <laughs> for another time, another subject. Wouldn't that be something? Uh, what, can you imagine? <laughs> there's, there's a lot. Um, if anybody I mean, hasn't listened to it, there is a great podcast by Justin Rimmel called Mysterious Circumstances, and he does a three part series on that. And it's fantastic, so check it out. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's really amazing on what, like, as far as, like, mobsters in general, all, like, the sort of, like, rumors and stuff like that. When Like, just, I don't know, about a decade ago, they found Capone's body or something like that, remember? Wasn't he? He was actually on Alcatraz, wasn't he? Was he? Uh, I, I don't They They dug up some, like, mobster, and they're like, oh, snap, this is his body. So, like... <laughs> He never knew. <laughs> it belongs in a museum. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and jump into this. Um, so like I said, this is going to be a little bit different. Um, we, we always try to improve and, uh, you know, make the podcast the best that we can. So we've changed some things up. So we're going to see how this one goes. And then you can give us your feedback on Facebook or message me or text me, whatever you want. Please um, do. We appreciate it. Also, before we get... Too much further. We actually have listeners just this past week. We've picked up three new countries. We have Italy, Mexico, and just late last night slash early this morning, Finland. So thank you guys for listening. Thanks for giving us a chance. And please tell your friends. Tell and your a family. Special hello to those across the pond. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and jump into this movie, The Godfather. All right, The Godfather. Release date, March 24th, 1972. This had a budget of $6 million estimated. Cumulative worldwide gross of over $245 million. Uh, this was directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Writing credits goes to Mario Puzo for the screenplay, Francis Ford Coppola for screenplay, and Mario Puzo, who wrote the novel. Tech specs, runtime, 2 hours and 55 minutes. It's 175 minutes. Sound mix, we're looking at DTS, re-release, and a mono. Color, Technicolor. Aspect ratio, 1.37 by 1 negative ratio. 
1.85 by 1 theatrical ratio. So there was two different ratios going on in theatrical release and um, the VHS slash later on DVD releases, right? Uh, Cameron Mitchell BNCR, uh, Bosch and Lom Super Balter lenses. Uh, I didn't have time to look into these, but these are new, so I will take the time to uh, speak on this later, uh, when it, whether it be like you know one of our catch-up episodes or whatnot. But I would like to dive into this for you guys. Uh, the laboratory this was edited in is Technicolor, SPA, Roma, Italy. Technicolor Hollywood, USA, Prince. So this was edited in two different places, it seems. Uh, the film length is 177 meters, negative format, 35 millimeters, Eastman, 100T, 5254. And that we have spoke on in the past, right? Uh, uh, cinemagraphic process, digital intermediate, 4K, 2008 resolution, spherical. Printed film format, 35 millimeter and 8 millimeter. Now, off to the fun part for me. And that's the awards. Man, they had a slew of awards. So You're not even going to cover yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> no, we're, I'm not going to cover them all. Uh, but they had a lot of awards. Uh, I, as usual, pick and choose my favorites. And so, here we go. We have the Academy Awards, 1973. They were the winner. Oscar, Best Picture, Al Rudy. Best Actor, Leading Role, Marlon Brando. Uh... And here's a little interesting fact right out the gate. Brando did not attend the ceremony and choosing instead to have himself represented by Sashin. Now, if anybody knows how to say that name, and if I butchered it, let me know. Well, like you do every <laughs> other day. They're not going to care. They, <laughs> that's every episode. Uh, they also got best writing screenplay based on material from another medium, uh, in this case a book. Uh, which I have read. Very good book. Um, if any book readers out there, definitely check this out. Um, Written by, obviously, Mario Puzo and Francis Ford Coppola. Mario Puzo was not present at the award ceremony. His daughter, Dorothy Ann Puzo, accepted the award. So another little fun fact. So it seems like, uh, you know, people were accepting the awards on um, other people's behalf. And at least as far as I can remember, I don't think we've seen that recently as far as uh, Oscars go. Someone else receiving an award um, for, like, a special reason. Not that we've talked about, I don't believe. Uh, Then we have... Uh, nominees. So these, this is what they were nominated for. Uh, Oscar Best Actor in Supporting Role, uh, James Ken. Best Actor in Supporting Role, Robert Duvall. Best Actor in Supporting Role, Al Pacino. Uh, and Pacino also did not attend the ceremony in protest of perceived category fraud. Um, and then you can look into that. There's a whole sort of spiel on that one. Uh, best Director, Francis Ford Coppola. Best Costume Design, Ann Hill uh, Johnstone. Best Sound, Charles uh, Grinsbach. Richard Portman and Christopher Newman. Best Film Editing, William Reynolds, Peter Zinner. And Best Music, Original Dramatic Score, Nino Rota. Uh, And they were withdrawn and and, uh, eligible uh, because uh, it was replaced by a nomination for Sleuth. And there's you know a bunch of stuff on that, right? Now, finally, on to the next ones. Golden Globes, USA, 1973. They won the Golden Globe Best Motion Picture for Drama. Best Action in Motion Picture Drama, Marlon Brando. Brando refused the award in protest of the U.S. imperialism and racism. So there's a lot of protesting going on and a lot of uh, sort of kickback from some of these awards, which is really interesting. A lot of stuff happening during, during these award ceremonies uh, uh, with the actors and... 
um, the awards they were receiving or nominated for. Uh, Best Director, Motion Picture, Francis Ford Coppola. Best Screenplay, Motion Picture, Francis Ford Coppola, Mario Puzo. Best Original Score, Motion Picture, Nino Rota. Nominee, so they were nominated for the Golden Globe Best Actor in Motion Picture Drama, Al Pacino. Best Supporting Actor Motion Picture, James Cann. Now the BAFTA Awards, 1973. Uh, winner, Anthony uh, Asquith. Uh, I, I butchered that last name, I know it. <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't even know where to begin how to say that. Uh, <laughs> award for Film Music, uh, Nino Rota, nominee. And BAFTA Film Award, Best Costume Design, Anna Hill Johnstone. Most Promising Newcomer, two leading film roles, Al Pacino. So, yeah, this was early in Al Pacino's career. Kind of probably maybe one of the movies that's uh, really set the pace of uh, Al Pacino's career. Uh, hopefully we'll get into some other movies. I really like him as an actor. Great, great actor. Great actor. Him and De Niro oh, both yeah. really good. Uh, best Supporting Actor, Robert Duvall. Best Actor, Marlon Brando. Uh, and for Nightcomers. Now... Uh, Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films, USA, 2009. Winner, Saturn Award for Best DVD Collection for The Godfather Part 2 and Godfather Part 3 as The Godfather, The Coppola Restoration. Um, then we have the David D. Donatello Awards, 1973. Winner, David, uh, Best Foreign Film, uh, Al Rudy, Producer. Winner, Special David. Al Pacino for his acting. So I just thought that was interesting. Oh, David Awards. <laughs> like it, it sounds like something just somebody made up and under I don't their think name. That's, and that's not an award that we've covered yet either. No, it hasn't. That's that's why I, it just was interesting because their their um, their awards have David in the name. So it was like some guy named David was like, I want an award ceremony of my <laughs> own. All right, you get a David Award. I just thought it was sounds uh, like a mafia award, <laughs> crime award. All right, then we have. The Golden Schmooze, the which are back. Is the Schmooze are back. 2001, they won the Golden Schmooze Best DVD of the Year for The Godfather Part 2 and 3, The Godfather Trilogy. Uh, Grammy Awards, 1973, they won a Grammy for Best Original Score Written for a Motion Picture or Special, uh, Nino Rota. They were nominated for Grammy Best Instrumental Composition, once again, uh, Nino Rota. Which, I'm going to have to look into Nino Rota's works, because I really did love the music. A lot of that music really resonated uh, just so well with the movie. And, and I'd like to see what else uh, And also, they, they um, as we were talking earlier, you also said that that was one of your dad's ringtones. Yeah, the, the, so, the, the, God, the main Godfather sort of theme that everybody connects with the Godfather. Uh, that was my father's ringtone, and then became my ringtone for like the longest time. And this was back when... <laughs> Like you actually, there was no way to put your own ringtone on it. Like you had to go into the little little store <laughs> and, and then pay it. like two ninety nine. No, you like you pay like two ninety nine. Hey, that's your ringtone, <laughs> and it would be like a meaty tone. It wasn't even like the yeah, actual you didn't even sounds. get the full yeah. thing, like the jazz version. <laughs> oh, I know, right? Well, that's what you get now. It's like you go to look up a ringtone, and you get like so many different versions. You're like, I just want the original. Yeah. I don't want the dubstep. I don't want the, the techno. techno. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, now, we are in the National Film Preservation Board, USA, 1990. Uh, they won the National Film Registry. So that's always fun. And I believe I got one more here. Yes, I do. Oh, two more. 
Online Film and Television Association 1997 winner, the OFTA Film Hall of Fame Motion Picture. Uh, Writers Guild of America, USA 1973 winner of the WGA Awards screen for Best Drama Adapted from Another Medium, Mario Puzo and Francis Ford Coppola. And now to the synopsis. Very short and sweet, this one. (laughs) A reluctant son inherits his family's crime lord business after a tragedy befalls his father. All right, so there you have the awards. As you can tell, and that's not even all the awards that it won. There's so many more yeah, pages there, of notes. There's a, it's a very thick packet of, of awards they won. Basically, this this movie was, was really good. Uh, <laughs> they had a lot of awards. They won a lot. That's what right. really stands out is, uh, you know, we do some movies and some of them get nominated, but they don't win so much. Um, this movie... Every single, I, I can attest to looking through them all, every single one, they've won at least one award, right? if not multiple. So um, we're going to go ahead and jump into the cast. And um, for this, it's really crazy. So it's broken down by the families or their associates or their rivals. Yeah. So we're going to start off with the Corleone family. Um, did you know that Corleone, the, the name means Lionheart? That's cool. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so we'll start this cast. Um we're going to go through the cast, and then I've got people that uh, was offered or rejected the cast to. And some of the names in here, you're going to be like, wow, I can't. can you imagine if these people were in the movie? But even though the people that got the roles, they are fantastic. You oh, know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's a star-studded cast. Oh, yeah. Even though I mean, when we they say were, that a lot, but even though, But even though when they were cast, they weren't really known for what they are now. You know what I mean? So this might be the start for a lot of them. So, oh, yeah. This movie definitely put a lot of people on the map. We'll start off with the, 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 the patriarch himself, um, Vito Corleone. Corleone was played by Marlon Brando. Um, we've seen Marlon Brando's name before. He yep. played uh, Superman's dad. Uh, Morgana King played Carmela Corleone, which was Vito's wife. James Kahn as Sonny Corleone, which was the oldest son, and he was the designated heir to become the next godfather. Yep. Uh, John Cazelli as Frito Corleone, which was the second son. Al Pacino... <laughs> You know, I had never seen this movie before until about two or three weeks ago. And the performance that he put on... Was it really your first time seeing it? All the way through, yeah. Oh, I mean, man. I've caught a little bit. bit yeah, like yeah. I said, that's... It's a long movie. That's it's why like, I wanted to do this yeah. podcast because, um, as I put on Facebook, that there's some of these movies in the top 100 that I have never seen. Like, I still have never seen Citizen Kane, which we've got to do just so oh, yeah, yeah. force myself to watch it. You know what I mean? Some people don't like it. Some people like it. So I'd like to see what it's all about. Uh, so Al Pacino played Michael Corleone, which was the youngest son, who was a war hero that had just returned home, who was distanced from the family business, and he really didn't want any part of it in this movie. Oh, yeah. At the beginning. <laughs> uh, Talia Shire as Connie Corleone, which was his daughter and youngest child, whose wedding opens the film. Robert Duvall as Tom Hagen, which was the adopted son who serves as the family lawyer. Uh, Diane Keaton uh, played Kay Adams, which was Michael's girlfriend and later on his second wife. Gianni Russo as Carlo Rizzi, which was Connie's husband. Now we're going to jump into some of the Corleone associates. You had Richard S. Castelliano as Peter Clemenza. Uh, Abe Vigoda as Salvatore Tessio. Lenny Montana as Luca Brasi, uh, which was Vito's bodyguard and enforcer. And I really liked Luca Brasi in this. I thought he did a good job. Oh, yeah. Uh, Richard Bright as Al Neri, which was Michael's bodyguard also. Uh, Johnny Martino as Pauly Gatto, Clemenza's lackey. Al Martino as Johnny Fontaine, an actor and singer who is friends with the family and enlists Vito's help in landing a film role. Alex Rocco as Mo Green, a casino manager from Las Vegas. 
And Simonetta Stefanelli as Apollyanna Vitelli Corleone, which was Michael's first wife. And now some of the Corleone rivals. Al Letterly as Virgil the Turk Salazio, a drug dealer and associate of the rival Tataglia family. Sterling Hayden as Captain Mark McCluskey, a corrupt police captain in the pay of the Tataglia family. John Marley as Jack Woltz, the head of the film studio who refuses to grant a role to Johnny Fontaine. Richard Conti as Emilio, uh, Emilio Barzini, another New York crime boss. Uh, Victor Rendina as Philip Tataglia, another New York crime boss. Tony Gigorio, or Gigoro as Bruno Tataglia, Philip's son. And Corotta Gapia as Don Tomasino. I know... I know uh, <laughs> Sam's looking at because we you'll hear him in the interview. He's very well knowledge about this movie, but he was a Sicilian crime boss. Uh, Francis City as Calio, one of T- Tomasino's uh, soldiers, and Angelo Infanti as Fabrizio, one of Tomasino's soldiers. So as you can see, that's the cast. Um, very lot of lot of famous names. Um, but now um, I went through and I found I broke it down by the person in the movie. And then who auditioned or was rejected for okay, the role? Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the first one we'll start off right away is for the role of Paul Gatto and Carlo Rizzi. This was this person auditioned for both of them, and it was a young Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> so right off the top, we're going with <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. That's funny. Yeah. Um, now for Michael, which went to Al Pacino, Michael Corleone. Here's some yeah. of the names, um, and then we'll see how many of these you've heard of and what you would have thought. Yeah, Martin Sheen. Oh, okay, wow. Dean Stockwell, Red Steiger, um, Warren Beatty, wow. Jack Nicholson, <laughs> Dustin Hoffman, wow. uh, David Carradine. Uh, actually, Dustin Hoffman was actually offered it, but he refused. Okay. Uh, Dean Stockwell, Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, Erna, uh, so right there. Well, I think uh, it's funny because I'm just like, first I imagine them how they are now, but then I'm like, okay, no, no, I got to think of like how they were then you know what i mean like a much younger version of all of these guys but but just from all the people i've named i mean if you look at all those you know most of them oh, if yeah. not all of them yeah uh and you try to put them in this movie and it just would change the movie you know? oh yeah completely <laughs> um, absolutely so for vito corleone uh, the godfather himself here's yep. some here's some names ernest borgenine edward robinson orson well Welles, danny thomas richard conti Anthony Quinn, huh. Don um, um, Amici, George C. Scott, Burt Lancaster, and the one that the studio really, really wanted to play this is Sir Lawrence Olivier, hmm. but he had to decline for his poor health. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, for Mama Corleone, we had Anna Magnani, Magni, Magnani and Anne Bancroft um, both turned down the role. Uh, for K, you had uh, Jill Kleber, Susan Blakely, Michelle Phillips, and Mia Farrow. Now, here we go. Tom Hagen, Jerry Van Dyke, huh. Bruce Dern, Steve McQueen. We've heard that name yep. before. Uh, Paul Newman, James <laughs> Kahn, and my personal favorite, Elvis Presley. Audition for the role, but he really wanted to play Vito. Yeah. Can you imagine Elvis as the godfather? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Not only am I the godfather, 
of crime. I'm the godfather of music. Yeah. <laughs> um, here's another. Here's another. I wish. I so wish this guy would have got it for for Sonny. Yeah. Anthony Perkins. Can you imagine? Anthony oh yeah. Perkins from Psycho. Well, I mean, like he's just an amazing actor. I right. Have no but doubt but, but he, he got typecast so hard that yeah, it was hard for him got to find typecast it. the ground, uh, man. Burt Reynolds. <laughs> You know, it was funny. I was I was actually surprised I didn't hear his name before, and I was like, I feel like Burton Reynolds would be on this list. And right. sure enough, there he is. Uh-huh. And the last one, Aldo Ray. So there you have some of the uh, famous people that were uh, thought of for the movie, even auditioned for the movie. So, uh, so we're gonna go ahead. And, this movie, uh, the way I did the notes this time, it's really crazy. Um, it's kind of broken down into scenes, um, if okay, you will. Yeah, yeah. So uh, to get more, you know, input from Terrence and all that. So we're gonna we're gonna start off with the famous horse head scene. <laughs> okay, are you yeah. ready? So um, during the rehearsals of this scene, there was a false or fake horse head that was used right in the in the scene. So the actor yeah. was like, "Oh, okay." But when it was time for the real shoot, they used a real horse head. <laughs> Even though the blood and guts was fake, they used yeah. a real horse head that they had got from. Um, let me see what it was. It was a pet food manufacturer who slaughters 200 horses a day for dog food. Wow. They said a lot of the people on the set were upset, you know, PETA and all that. But were upset. Yeah. Animal lovers were upset uh, because they used a real horse head. And he's like, look, he's like, we, did, we didn't kill the horse for this reason. He <laughs> yeah. said, we actually just went to the place that does this and we just bought the head and thought, hey, we're going to use a real horse head. You know what I mean? <laughs> so the scream that you hear, you know, the, the, the yeah. guy when he's freaking out when he wakes up with the horse head in his bed yeah. is actually real. Because he thought it was just going to be fake. Yeah. Can you imagine? Oh, yeah. Rehearsing all that time. Rehearse it and then like, oh, there's a real horse head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So a couple of us like, I don't understand these people. He's like, um, you know, uh, we didn't kill the horse, but we used the horse. You know, the horse Yeah, head. exactly. Yeah. Um, he, he said he didn't really care for the horse scene in the novel. But since it was an iconic moment in the book that he felt like he should it leave was, it in yeah. there. So. Um, also, uh, in the little little fact in here is uh, Coppola's uh, Oscar statue that he received for writing Patton in 1970 can be seen on the nightstand of the guy. So his actual uh, Oscar statue is in the scene. They put it in the scene. Right. Yeah, that, that's cool. A little nod, little cameo of his own Oscar. All right. So um, there's a little facts about the horse head. Uh, I mean, that was one of the iconic schemes. Uh, you know, <laughs> I thought it was great. The cat in the opening scene, which is sitting on Marlon Brando's lap, was actually a straight cat found by Coppola. Uh, Brando took a liking to the cat. The cat was purring so loud in the scene in the beginning of the movie that most of his lines had to be looped. I mean, he was just, you know, he's just sitting there. Yeah, because he's just sitting there petting the cat. Yeah, Yeah. and it was a straight cat. I mean, that's And you know what? This this scene in particular has been either copied or spoofed so many times. That's how iconic it is where, like, you know, you have the evil guy who turns around in the chair and they usually, like, petting some kind of pet you know what i mean right. um it was even uh, you know what i want to say it was even spoofed in uh uh what do, you, what do you call it um fifth element when when he turns around he has that little alien creature yeah. sitting on his lap like everybody's done even in like the most subtle ways but everybody's copied the scene it's crazy um now we're going to talk a little bit about some different actors we're going to start off with marlon brando this guy um he's a great actor but man he was a little crazy in real life i mean I don't want to say crazy, but his focus, um, after watching hours upon hours of interviews on YouTube this week and yeah. just different things, uh, the guy, I mean, I admire for what he did, but man, 
to sit down and actually try to get a conversation with him about The Godfather, any of his movies, he would just always redirect it to something else. Hmm. So a little bit about Marlon Brando in this movie. Um, for Number one, he had to lose weight to play the role. That makes sense. Uh, he wore a mouthpiece made by a dentist, you know what I mean, because they yeah. wanted to give him the bulldog look or whatever. <laughs> um, and they made him wear lifts for the movie. Um, one of the funniest things I found was that Brando had a tough time memorizing his lines, so cue cards were hidden behind objects on the set, as well as some of the actors had them stashed away somewhere on their body. So I've seen this one picture <laughs> where you see like the, the camera's behind Brando, and yeah. let's say you're the guy, and he has this big cue card on his chest with all of his lines. <laughs> I was like, wow. That's, it. That's great. Um, his script fetched $12,800 during an auction, uh, which was the highest ever for a script. Wow, yeah. He acquired a taste for spicy squid with hot sauce. He is even, uh, it is even said that he's holding some of it off out of view of the camera when he leans over Sonny's dead body. So they said <laughs> when he was shooting that, yeah, they came up with that. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and throw in um, a clip here from Marlon Brando. Um, I've, I've, like I said, we're going to have some uh, sound bites from uh, the actual actors. And like um, interviews and such, right? right? So this is a little piece of uh, the Connie Chung interview in 1989 with Marlon Brando. Take a listen. Realize that any producer or director is dying to work with Marlon Brando. Don't speak to me as Marlon Brando, as though I were <laughs> some person at a hiding under a fire truck down the road. I, I, I always troubled. I hate it. See, they have a tremendous amount. If you don't take your own money out of your pocket, slam it on the table, and say, "All right, the movie's going to be about." a guy who eats a fishbowl and that's what the movie's going to be about then you can make that movie but you've got to get somebody to put up 20 million dollars or whatever the budget is some budget to 40 million dollars and uh, so what are you telling me you do not have 20 or 40 million dollars to put on the table and say i want to make this movie no i don't i don't if you had worked over the last nine years Maybe you would have? Well, unquestionably. Special talent to become a character. No, no, nobody becomes that. I don't believe that anybody is... First of all, you can't act unless you are what you are and who you are. Now you come to me and you say... Don Corleone, give me justice. But you don't ask for respect. You don't offer friendship. You don't even think to call me Godfather. The making of The Godfather in 1971 drew several real-life Godfathers out of the shadows. They had some concerns about the script, about the depiction of Italian-Americans, and brought pressure on Paramount's corporate head. Well, Joe Colombo was the famous... Uh, fellow who walked into Charlie Bluehorn's office and says we don't want to hear the word mafia mentioned Cosa Nostra all those guys and Charlie Bluehorn said well boy whatever whatever you want you know we're glad to serve it up so the studio tried to accommodate the Columbos and Buffalinos of the world by including them as extras in the wedding sequence. And it was the shooting of that scene that led to what Brando laughingly describes as the most critical error of his life. 
I was, I was bombed. It was a long day, and it was a dull day, and uh, and everybody was drinking, and I really got ripped, and completely snuckered, and uh, so I mooned the audience. <laughs> it was all uh, Mr. Buffalino's family, and uh, I didn't know that at the time. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it naturally. I didn't mean it as an insult, I meant it as a joke, but I was so drunk I couldn't hit the floor with my hat. Alright, so you can see um, just what kind of person we're dealing with. Also, um, I wanted to go ahead and give this out here too, is uh, Francis Ford Coppola, he's also talking about Marlon Brando, so let's go ahead and give this one a listen too. I mean, Marlon Brando was an extraordinary person to work with, but it was it was magical, it wasn't... You didn't talk acting stuff with him. He'd come in and go, uh, and that meant where is the shot? And, 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 uh, he, he, and I would work with him through props. I would put little salami out or, or, I would t- or I would take a cat and just put, but not words. I would never talk about acting stuff. He would hate it if I talked about, you know, kind of acting talk. But I always worked with props and, you know, kind of offered him things that might help him in his uh, but he was a man of incredible intelligence, aside from acting, just as a, as a human being. What he was interested in, what he talked about, what he observed, he was pretty remarkable. The studio didn't want Brando. And, oh, no, they, 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 I was told by the president of Paramount Pictures, Francis, Marlon Brando will not appear in this movie, and I forbid you, as president of Paramount, to bring his name up again. <laughs> And at which time I fell on the floor in a faint and I like had a, you know, I did it deliberately. And they said, what? I said, well, if I can't even talk about it, then what kind of director am I? He's okay, you can talk about it. (laughs) And then they said to me, finally, okay, we give you three conditions for Brando. One, he does the film for free. (laughs) Two, he does a screen test. And three... He puts up a million-dollar bond, so if any misbehaving on the set happens, he is underwritten. He is under- I said, I accept. <laughs> so that's what I had. I had that uh, he had to do it for nothing. He had to do a screen test. How was I going to get Mullen Brand to do a screen test? And he had to put up a bond. So I went. I talked to Brando. I didn't know Brando, but you know, I think he was pretty down and out. He had been in a film called Quemada, Burn, which by Ponte Corvo who made the great battle of Algiers. And he was like so not in favor that they really thought that if he were in the movie, it would be worse than if an unknown were in the movie. So with Brando, I talked to him knowing he was an actor. I said, you know, I said, you're playing an Italian. Maybe you would like to fool around a little and improvise some things to see if you could get the essence of an Italian. He was only 47 years old. And, and the character Godfather is in his 60s. So he, on the phone, I think he said yes, he, he would do that. And I made a date with him to go to his house uh, and, and, and shoot a little, uh, and do a little improvisation. So I got there very early with two or three of my friends from San Francisco, and they were like ninjas. I said, Marlon Brando does not like loud noise. I had heard that. He wears even earplugs. And so I want no one to make noise. We're going to go there and we'll do hand signals like Ninja, set up the camera and be ready for him. So we went to his house there on Mulholland Drive 
and uh, it was early. He wasn't up. The maid was there with this beautiful little baby, about one or two years old, I remember. And uh, we set up our cameras, and I had a little, in those days, little Sony Handycam that I had with me that was new at the time. And uh, sure enough, there's a rumble, and he's going to come, and the door opens, and out walks this beautiful man with long blonde hair and a Japanese robe, and I'm shooting him. And I say, good morning, and you know, and, and uh, he, he, you know, he was as sharp as the tack. He knew everything. He looked around, he saw the ninjas, and he knew I was filming him. This was, quote, the screen test. But I had brought, like, some sazich and some provolone and some uh, Toscano cigars, and I had put these props around. And he came out, and he looked at all this, and he figured out what was going on, and he took his hair... And he did his hair up. He had very long blonde hair. And he did it up in a kind of thing himself in the back. And he took shoe polish and he, he made it black. And then he put on a shirt. And he I remember him saying, hey, those guys, the, the lapel has always got a crooked part, you know. And he did that. He made the lapel and he started to do that. And then he said, you know, he, he was shot in the throat. In the book, he was shot in the throat. So he, he talks like that, maybe. And I said, yeah, you know, I'm filming. <laughs> and then he said, he should look like a bulldog. And he took some Kleenex, and he put the Kleenex, uh-huh, like that. And then he started, like, acting, but not saying anything. And it was in his house. And, and I'm shooting, and we're all shooting, and he starts going, <laughs> and the phone rings. His phone rings over here. I don't know who was calling him, but he goes, <laughs> So, at any rate, it was a miraculous transformation. It was the birth of that character. So I figured I was going to play my cards. I wasn't going to show it to the president of Paramount Pictures. I went to New York with the videotape, and I went to the office of Gulf and Western. Charlie Bluthorn was the head of the company, and he was the big boss. And I knocked on his office. I had set up a tape recorder in the conference room near his office. And I said to Sir, Mr. does Mr. Bluthorn have five minutes that I could show him something? And, and, and he knew me. I mean, Charlie Bluthorn, uh, it was Church of England, but he had a Viennese accent. And he talked like, Francis, what are you doing, you crazy Francis? <laughs> so he sees me and he says, well, what is it? I said, Charlie, could I just show you something? And he comes out and he looks. I turn on the video thing and there is this guy with blonde hair, and Charlie Bluthorn said, no, no, absolutely, that's incredible. <laughs> and, I, and when he said that's incredible, and it was incredible, he, I knew that if Charlie Bluthorn okayed it, then it would okay, and that's how he got the part. They forgot about the million-dollar bond, but they didn't hardly pay him anything. They paid him like $120,000. And, fa- and the big thing with Brando, you know, Brando was hired for three weeks, a million dollars a week. And he showed up, as you know, allegedly very, very big. So I didn't know how to costume him. I said, well, they don't make Green Beret uniforms in size XXXXX. <laughs> so how am I, uh, you know, how am I going to dress him? And, uh, and then he wanted to talk. And, we, and he's such a genius. He's talking about termites and, the, the and so on. And meanwhile, I'm thinking, my God, you know, I have three weeks, five-day weeks with him, and, he, and his contract was at five o'clock, he left. And I know what he's doing, the son of a gun. He's going to stall the whole three weeks, and I'm going to have to pay him another three weeks. So finally, I said to him, you know, I think we ought to do Kurtz uh, like it is in the book. Uh, in fact, he didn't want the character to be called 
Kurtz. He wanted, he, he wanted it to have a lovely name like Laylee. So in the movie, it's all Laylee, and we had to dub him into Kurtz because everyone was Laylee, because he thought it was Laylee. It's like la, la. At any rate, I said to him, Marlon, what if we just do it like Kurtz? And, you know, Kurtz is described as having almost a skull-like head, bald and stuff. And he said, no, 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 it wouldn't work. So I said, yeah, okay. So then on the Friday, which was a week of no shooting, on the Friday morning, he shows up and his head is bald. And I said, Marlon, I thought you said it wouldn't work. He said, well, he said, I lied when I said I read the book. I had never read the book. I read it last night. (laughs) So there you can see that... uh you know uh, some of the stuff that Marlon Brando did, and just to, just to hear them in their own voice. Yeah, there's something to it. You know what I mean? And instead of hearing it straight from them, instead of like us kind of recapping and, and summarizing the right. best we can, might as well just show the actual audio cup if we can find it. Right. Uh, so there's a uh, <laughs> he was also a prankster, and um, I played the clip earlier. You hear him talk about like during the wedding scene. One of the biggest regrets he has is that. They got so drunk that um, the the crime bosses were all all there. Uh, the, the 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 mafia. The, well, he's a, he couldn't use the word mafia. Yeah. Uh, the the crime lords, if you will, they all had um, some beef with this movie. So they had them all at the wedding scene as extras in the background. Yep. So Marlon Brando said that. Yeah. He's like, well, we we were drinking a lot. He's like, I got real drunk. He said, and then I just. I just mooned. I just pulled down my pants and mooned everybody. <laughs> He's like, I didn't mean anything by it. You know, I just did it. He's like, but that's probably the biggest regret he did because he did it right in front of one of these crime bosses. Oh, man. Um, also, he was a jokester um, on the set. I guess they used to have mooning competitions. He, like, won the, the moon award. Um, but he also uh, stuffed weights. <laughs> the in moon his, award. Right. That's he also great. stuffed weights in his body when, you know, where they, he gets back from the hospital and they're carrying him upstairs. Yeah. He put weights in his body on his clothes. So oh, they man. had to actually get, you know, the struggle yeah. after having is real. So I thought that was always pretty cool. Um, let's see here. Let me flip this page. Uh, Al Pacino. Um, you know, it's one thing to take your acting to a whole new level, but this guy actually had his jaw wired shut when he got hit in the, uh, punched in the face. Oh, geez. Yeah. Um, I mean, can you imagine, just, you know, I mean, right. it's taking it to a whole new level. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, they also wanted him to wear lifts in this movie. Um, this is, uh, before we get in for this is um, one of the 1,001 movies you must see before you die. Uh, it's considered the greatest film of all time by Entertainment Weekly. Uh, it's uh, one of, number one on Empire's 500 greatest movies. It's number two on AFI's uh, movie list after Citizens Kane. It's on Roger Ebert's list. It's on the greatest movie list. So it's on a lot of lists. As you can tell, it's usually including the, my own. <laughs> as you can tell, it's usually in the top five of the greatest movies of all time. Absolutely, so if you haven't given yeah. a listen, um, but just be warned, this is rated R. Ooh, yeah, um, yeah. And sure. also, there is uh, a topless scene of a, of a lady, and while I think it's Michael's second marriage when he's in Italy. Yeah. Um, no, or is this first? One of the two, but uh, she is only sixteen when doing this movie. And I found that doing my uh, research, and I was like, well, that's, "Oh no, that's, that's yeah, disturbing. that's wrong." Yeah. yeah, yeah. So just, just a fair warning. Um, the whole wedding scene uh, was shot guerrilla style. Do you know what that means? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, this basically they were allowed to do whatever they wanted in the background, um, but Capola was still filming. You know, so yeah. all the all the background shots you see of them in the wedding, they were allowed to do whatever, improvise, do whatever. Oh they yeah, wanted. yeah. 
Um, except then he would shoot the certain scenes, you know, that he had to have. There's certain scenes you need that control aspect, but in a lot of scenes you can, you know, guerrilla style. Right. Um, oh man, and one thing I forgot to say is, uh, I'm going to jump back before, I should have done this before we did the Brando thing, but, uh, Capella, when he was writing this book, he had a notebook and, um, he would rip the pages out of the actual book and then glue them onto like this bigger page where he could write notes and all that around there. And I, I found this interview. I want to play. It's about 10 minutes long. Uh, it's not really an interview. It's him talking about this notebook. Yeah. But he touches on, uh, it's in his own words. He talks about, you know, I don't need a script. I have this notebook. And, yeah. you know, if he lost it, he wanted it mailed to this address. But the most interesting thing about this interview is he talks about Alfred Hitchcock and uh, uh-huh, the, the, yeah. the, the some of the scenes in Psycho that, you know, inspired him uh, right to, to do certain things right, of this yeah. so this one's about 10 minutes long so um make sure you check this out when i realized that i was actually gonna uh, make a movie out of the novel the godfather uh i i sat down and uh, began to read the book very very carefully and i think it's important to put your impressions down on the first reading because those are the, the initial instincts about what you thought was good or what you didn't understand or what you thought was bad. And so I took the book and I actually uh, uh, wrote my comments right on the, on, on the book itself. And having gotten through the book with these few notes and comments, uh, I then made a, a prompt book out of it. A prompt book is sort of an old tradition from theater. And basically you take a, a sheet of loose leaf paper and I sat there myself and I cut out uh, this this hole in the middle of the page, and then I pulled my book apart that I had made those comments on, and I myself pasted uh, uh, every page of the novel onto sheets of paper like this, so that of course you could see both sides, and uh, and then I put really good grommets, those reinforcers on the hole, so that that wouldn't tear. I think I put them on both sides. Let me just check. This is years. Yeah, I put on both sides because I was aware that. This, this prompt book was going to be my master kind of uh, uh, document that I would work from. And uh, I called it the Godfather Notebook and put a big warning, if found, return to this address for reward because I recognized that it would have every uh, opinion that I had on the book. And um, interestingly, I decided to break down each section with these um, key criteria. This is a very big one because it was the wedding scene. One was synopsis, to synopsize that particular part of the book, uh, a paragraph or two saying what up to there really had happened in terms of the story. Number two was the times, which is to say, how did what happened in the story at that point, how do the times bear on it? In this case, it was the 40s. So after World War II, America had a certain style. Every scene, I was relating it to the period. So when I then was told by Paramount that the movie was going to not be shot, period, it was going to be contemporary shot, which is to say the 70s, in fact, that we were going to shoot it in Kansas City, I really you know, had a very hard time accepting that and made a big point that it had to be period. And I don't, I didn't even remember why I did, because obviously that was going to make the movie more expensive, which is not what they wanted at all. And it must have been because I had just gone through this vast, big, thick book writing notes as to why it had to be, you know, what the 40s had to do with the story. Imagery and tone, this is, of course, 
uh, images that seem to stand out from reading it or even the tone of the story. Number four, it says the core. And this is something I think I borrowed from Ilya Kazan in his notes from the way he broke down the play Streetcar Named Desire. It's published uh, in, uh, in, in a book on directing. But for five, I put pitfalls, which was to say, how can I screw this up? What are dangers, um, uh, things that you want to avoid or, or, or uh, dangers that you very easily uh, uh, could find yourself in? Clichés. Italians who would talk like this. Failure to make a convincing setting. Boring. People must feel that they're seeing the real thing with hundreds and hundreds of interesting specifics, like the children sliding around the sandwich man, throwing the sandwich. Hey, Bino, two gabagol and one prosciutto. Losing a basic humanity to all these people. Failing to set up a tension between Godfather and Michael. Too much exposition. And I went through the book again. I used to schlep this around in a big bag that I had. And I would sometimes go to a, a cafe, in particular in North Beach. I used to go to the old Cafe Trieste and sit in the corner with my Olivetti typewriter and this book. And as I would go through the book for each uh, division, and really I made up the divisions. I broke them down. I noticed here scene one, scene two, scene three, but they didn't exactly follow the chapters. It's sort of what I felt was scene one and where it ended. What was interesting is that by doing that, after I had gotten through the whole book, I was able not only to have those first few notes that I had written in the book, but I had the big wide margins that the the prompt book pages gave me so I could in great detail chart what I thought was happening. This document was a kind of multi-layered roadmap for me to direct the film. And I remember when I did direct the film, although there was a script, obviously, I tended to take this around and uh, work on The Godfather. Uh, Again, I had that kind of canvas bag where I could carry this. And I was more interested in really working from this because Uh, On one level, it had the actual book rather than a screenplay, uh, which would have left so much out. And so I was able to review not only Mario Puzo's original text, but all my first notation as to what little, little signs as to what was important to me or what I felt was really going on in the book. Scene 26, Michael picked up by Salazzo and the killing, parenthesis, key scene. The core, to show the killing as terrifying and explicitly as possible, having taken the tension to an unbearable degree. To further define Michael's character in regards to his cool, totally calm execution of these men. Pitfalls, rushing this would ruin it, otherwise the scene can't be ruined. That's good to know when you're just a poor little director sitting there and somebody says the scene cannot be ruined, so you know you've got something. As I was reading the book and making these notes and then putting them on the margins, obviously the more pens I was using and the more rulers lines and the more squiggly lines... Uh, sort of implied the excitement of the book was higher and higher so that this, the sheer amount of ink on the page would tell me later on this is one of the most important scenes. Design this scene shot for shot. Important. The audience knows he is not following Clemenza's instructions. Clemenza had told him specifically exactly what to do. 
And if you see that he wasn't doing it, it would be suspenseful. Hitchcock, designed, he chokes, frozen time, hit hard and bloody, his fork frozen midair, gun almost against Slotso's head, really close. Get this for the audience, mist of blood. We went to great length in that scene to put mists of blood in the air. McCluskey's fork frozen midair as he watches Solozzo's brains fly through the air, his own choking when shot in the throat. There's an asterisk. An asterisk in a book or a script for me means a super important part. The gun in his hand, he starts to leave without dropping it. That's what Clemenza had told me, to drop the gun immediately, and he's going and he's not dropping the gun, so hopefully the audience is dying. Drop it, drop it, drop it. He jumps in the car and rolls away, all very easy, should be easy. Michael disappears, we don't see him. Now, pick up the tempo. So I knew, just from looking at all these colors and things in the book, that this was going to be a very, very important scene. And indeed it was, not only for uh, the movie, but for Al Pacino, because it was in that scene that the executives of Paramount Pictures first caught a glimmer that maybe I had not been crazy in wanting to cast him. I'm in the Sicilian section. I see it says the core to show how Michael meets and falls in love with Apollonia and demonstrate that he intends to marry her and indicate Fabrizio's desire to go to America. Five, pitfalls. If Apollonia doesn't make your heart stop just to look at her, if the coincidence that the innkeeper is the father of the girl they have just seen seems contrived, if it is funny, it will not be. If Michael's quick decision to marry her seems unlikely, if Michael in a subtle way does not have the quality of a Don. On page 79 of the book, we have the actual shooting of the Don. Whenever I felt there was a really important part of the book that was going to be in the movie, I would sit there with my ruler and really underline. So this details the shooting, my, my margin notes are, the shooting, great detail. The Don is the main character of the movie. So as in Psycho, we are totally thrown when he is shot. How would Hitchcock design this? Hitchcock was such a master about manipulating information for the audience, usually telling you things uh, so that you were equipped to enjoy uh, what, you, what you were seeing, rather than withholding information, he would give you information. Design carefully. The rolling fruit. Sound off stage. An appearance of total confusion. I had done this preparation before I wrote the script, so I wrote the script from this, but the script was really an unnecessary document. I didn't even need a script because I could have made the movie just from this notebook. So as you can see, the, uh, I mean, just the detail that this guy went to, you know what I mean? Um, and then he said that uh, at the end of that, that he could, at the end of that, he said he could have written, he could have written a movie without the script yeah. because he has his notebook. You know, that's how much. And that's a really interesting way to go about uh, writing the script and just, you know, going up, tackling writing a movie uh, is he took it literally straight from the book which oh, yeah. is great which means he really put a lot of time and, into and, trying to be true to its source and not only that but he broke it down he's like look he's he's like um this scene i can't change this i have to focus i need this part to stick out yeah and which was really cool um 
I mean, that really strengthens his argument when, like, you know, big producer wants to come and be like, we should change this scene. Be like, huh, no, because no. we're trying to be true to the book. You see right. this right here? <laughs> um, but even uh, Mario Puzo said there was some stuff that um, he added. I think uh, the interview I was watching with Puzo, he said that there was a scene that's like a play yeah. on the stage. He's like, that was all Francis Ford Coppola. You know, he added that in oh, there. Yeah. And Puzo loved it. He said, "This is this is exciting. This is you know I needed this." Oh yeah, so I mean, you always, cool. uh, they work together so well. In this oh movie. yeah, and, and that's like you know in, in any art form, you you, you want to kind of like put your little spin on certain things, kind of throw your flair so you know it's yours. Um, and it's really cool that he was able to work with the Arthur when doing this movie. Right. Um, another interesting th- uh, fact about Capella is he had a um, he didn't really know how it was going to turn out, so he had the cast come over. Uh, for a dinner and he used to have these dinners and he had it where the actors couldn't break character That's they actually idea. had to do the dinner in, in dinner character. in character so That's they, a, great a, lot, a lot of people said that um, Pacino and Diane Keaton and all of them that I read they said that when they did that that they really come together, you know. That's really where they found their their niche for the movie, and that yeah. how they actually bonded over that. Which was that really, I mean, that sounds like a great like anybody who listens that uh, sort of likes like acting exercises and stuff like that. That sounds amazing. If like you can get uh, you know people either you're you're working with together, or even if you're just doing like improv and stuff, like come up with characters and then do a dinner in character. That just sounds really fun, right? <laughs> it's almost like. Um, uh, what's those murder murder mysteries you can do where you get mailed oh, or whatever yeah, and you yeah, have to yeah. play that part out? Um, the actor who played Luca Brasi was so nervous about working with Marlon Brando that he messed up some of his lines. Capella liked it so much that he left it in the film. He even <laughs> shot the scene at the... Um, he even went back after that to shot the scene, remember, uh, at the wedding where he's sitting there yep. and he's, he's reading the lines. He's like going over what he's going to say to the Godfather. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was over 100 caps... Um, placed on James Conn's body for the death scene at the uh, toll booth and over 200 drill holes in his car. Um, oh, at that time, um, the guy that was doing that was telling James Conn, they said, look, he's like, he's like, I've never put so many <laughs> caps on somebody. He's like, you don't have to really tell me that right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, the body count for this movie is 18. Um, George Lucas, uh, he used... Um, Real crime photos in this. Uh, you remember where they're going through the black and white yeah. thing, and they show those are actually real crime photos in oh, real life. Wow. Okay. Um, he also used um, a couple of scenes for Star Wars that were inspired by this, um, like the Luca Luca Brasi strangling. Yeah. Is a direct reference to Return of the Jedi, where Leia is strangling yeah. Jabba the Hutt, and also um, Episode Three, where Anakin turns. So okay. later, you know, he, he yeah. marches into the Jedi Temple. He starts slaughtering everybody yeah, with the yeah. music. That was a scene of, like, during the wedding, you know, and all those hits are going off. That's right. Yeah. A church or whatever. So this movie also had a lot of improvisions. Uh, the J- James Caan, when uh, they're at the wedding and, you know, the FBI person walks up and uh, he grabs him, he shoves him down. He takes his camera and he throws it on the ground, you know. Oh, yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. And then he comes back and he throws money down and says, look, where I come from, if we break something, we pay for it. That yeah. was improvised. Oh, that's great. I, <laughs> I did not like, know that. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I love improvised things. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in movies that are improvised that I think are just fantastic. Oh, yeah. Um, something else that uh, the the fight between Sonny and uh, Caro where he takes the trash can lid. Remember they're out there fighting. He takes yeah. the trash can lid. The, the garbage can lid was improvised too where he just takes it. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, wonderful. 
when uh, Marlon uh, Vito, uh, which is played by Ron Lando, slaps Johnny Fontaine, they said that that was done. Be- he's like, he really slapped him. He's like, because he said that was improvised. Yeah. Um, he said he was supposed to uh, grab him by the hair, but he was wearing a toupee. <laughs> he didn't so want to rip just, it off. So he just, he just, he just improvises. He's like, smack. <laughs> uh, so I was like, um, Something else is Cap- Capola and Pacino were both scared that they were going to get fired. Um, the studio did not want Pacino to play this role of Michael. Hmm. They thought he was too short. They just didn't like him. And yeah. Capella just kept insisting, no, this is my guy. This is my guy. Yeah. So every day they would come to work, they were scared. Pacino, you even, you'll even hear him that uh, he says, you know, I was going to, it was until they shot the scene, um, I believe it's the scene where he shoots uh, in the diner, and he sh- the diner scene. Yeah. I won't give a lot away. Um, but until the studio's ex- executive seen that, that they were going to fire him. Um, so I'll... I heard a story that's a great inspiration about not giving up. Mm-hmm. And um, it was about that you almost didn't get the part to Godfather. And if so, um, what did you do to get it? Well, that's a story that's so true. I had this uh, wonderful relationship with Francis Ford Coppola because he saw me in a play. And in the play, I, I, uh, I did. He was out in the audience, and I never heard from him. And he, and he sent me a note. And he wanted to see me in San Francisco. He had a wonderful script. And it was a love story where I played a college uh, teacher, professor, who falls in love with a student. And I thought that was, but it was a beautiful script. And he had me come out to San Francisco. So I'll make a long story short here. I went there. Of course, they didn't want him. They didn't want me, especially. Who's that? You know, who's he? And Francis says, well, he's on Broadway, and he just won a Tony. And he said, he's short. So that was it. You know, so I thought, well, I will move on from this. And I loved Francis. I spent five days with him there. He was at Zotrope in San Francisco. Yeah. Steven Spielberg there, all the uh, George Lucas, all these people in this place, and there was Coppola, and he and I would go out and talk. So it's good, we got to know me a little bit, and that was the end of the story, went home, I didn't hear from him for a year. A year later, I got a call, and it was him. And he said, Al, Francis. I said, Francis, hi. Hi, man, I was shocked. What's he calling me for? He said, look, he said, I just want you to know, I, I got the Godfather. I thought, it's tough business, isn't it? People get rejected, and now he's pretending that he has the Godfather. <laughs> I mean, I think something's wrong with him. I don't know what to do. I'm getting a little nervous. I think, what do I say? You know, do I hang up and say, oh, I got somebody's calling me. So I said, oh, really? <laughs> This is true now. I'm, t- I'm not just saying it. So then he says, yeah. And I knew the book. The book was all around him. He said, yes, and, and, and I would like you to play Michael. So I thought we're in some sort of, this is a dream world, right? This is some sort of kind of strange nightmare because it was all so pleasant, you know. Anyway... It's over. I, I like, had the conversation, but I remembered one thing. 
I thought the first time he said, I have the Godfather, because I really had a lot of admiration, respect for him, because he was, he's very brainy, and he had a big brain, and he talked interesting, and he was an artist, and such a special guy. But I knew, somehow I thought, Paramount is pretty smart to pick this guy. I don't know why, that just flashed, because what I knew of him was a couple of little small films he did, but there was something about him. But anyway, I, I, uh, I, he wanted me, and it was him who fought for me, like I've never been fought for in my life. He was there every day. Everybody was casting, you know, being set up for this movie to play Michael. It was the big, you know, the big part. Everybody was around. I, I don't know that it happens anymore like this, sort of like Gone with the Wind or something. And uh, I, I kept testing for him until it got to the point where I was begging him, please, Francis, I'm going to be all right. It's all right if they don't want me. I, it's good. It's okay. I'm going to go. I'll do it. I'm an actor. I'll go on. I'll do other things. But you know, when a director has a vision of what he sees in a, in a thing, if he, especially if he's a director like Coppola, you got to listen because he sees something. He saw what I didn't even see. So anyway, he stuck with it, and uh, he made sure that I showed. He got the, about eight minutes from a movie I made called The Panic in Needle Park. It was a um, small art film. I did it with Kitty Wynn about drug addicts in the New York City who fall in love. Beautiful. Beautiful. Jerry Schatzberg directors. Beautiful. They gave him eight minutes to show the studio. Because he was testing everybody, but he was testing all the actors with one kind of a scene, a sort of scene of exposition, and no one was really impressing anybody. But that thing got them to agree, okay, we'll try out. And that was a big thing, and then I got in the movie, and then we started shooting, and now they wanted to fire me. (laughs) Um, Capella... They were they were scared uh, because they wanted it to be more violent because they were like, look, we've had a couple of flops. We need yeah. this movie to really hit it out of the park. Um, they even went to as far to use scare tactics of having directors on the set. Can you imagine having <laughs> oh, extra man. directors on the set watching you knowing that guy's going to take my job if I mess yeah. up? Yeah, jeez. So I was like... Um, That's intense. Wow. Um, let's see here... While you're looking through your notes, I have some stuff to add. So, like, this movie in particular inspired so many other movies to borrow iconic scenes or even character likenesses. Uh, This not only inspired other movies, it inspired animations, it inspired video games. Um, One video game series that entirely was uh, inspired by movies like The Godfather, uh, Sopranos, other gangster movies was Grand Theft Auto. Um and then in, as far as television series go, you know, I mentioned the uh, Fifth Element uh, cameo sort of where they showed that scene. Uh, Austin Powers steals that scene. Uh, what's another? Zootopia steals that scene. So you even see sort of, uh, you know, kids animations borrowing some iconic scenes from The Godfather, uh, particularly that one where, you know, he turns around and he's got the, got the cat purring and it's always, you know, some kind of different animal or sometimes another cat Mr. Right? Bigglesworth <laughs> yeah Mr. Bigglesworth <laughs> and so um, it's really cool when you see something like this influence pop culture as a whole um, and not only that you have uh, so I've been to Sicily uh, 
and they fully embrace this movie as far as merchandise and souvenirs go. It seemed like every other shop I went to had some kind of Godfather paraphernalia. Like <laughs> I have, I have a Godfather shirt that says Godfather in Italian. Um, I, I wasn't able to get anything else, but uh, there's actually a Godfather two over there too. Really? Yeah, uh, where they where they take you around, and I didn't actually go on it. I'll go on it next time because I definitely want to go back. But uh, they just they just fully embrace that movie, and people still buy a lot of this stuff because, like I said, it's just one of the biggest influences on pop culture, um, which I think is is really interesting about this movie is is not only its influence on other movies and uh, other things in the entertainment medium but just just as a whole in pop culture just it's amazing right uh so i think i'm gonna go ahead and throw in the sam interview um the 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 listener who suggested this so i'm gonna go ahead and throw that in right here so give it a listen then we'll be right back all right guys we're back on the tragedy cinema we got a special guest interview on the phone on the line with me all the way from the great state of virginia we have mr samuel farrell samuel how you doing tonight Call me Sam. All right, Sam. I I, I put the special on special guest, that's for sure. (laughs) So, Sam, how long have you been listening to the podcast? Pretty much since uh, day one? First episode? Since you uh, threw that first post in Hillbilly Horror Stories offering the the Funko Pop to anybody who listened to enter the contest. I didn't win, but that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool when we did the Psycho giveaway. I'm thinking about doing some more of those giveaways, especially when we do our Facebook Live. But uh, for those that don't know, Samuel is uh, the official uh, creator, administrator, moderator of our Facebook group, the Tragedy of Cinema podcast group. So thanks, Samuel, for, or sorry, Sam, for uh, doing that for us. I think it's been fun. Uh, yeah, yeah, I kind of got volunteered. You could have volunteered me, so that's okay. <laughs> yeah, you took it off. So oh, sorry. everybody that's uh, listened to the podcast knows that I always throw some shade at Sam because he always wants to talk about The Godfather. I mean... Pretty much since I've known him. So his wish is coming true. We are actually talking about The Godfather this episode. So Finally. Yeah, finally. Um, <laughs> for those that don't know, I, I just sit down and watch this movie all the way through for the first time probably about four weeks ago. Uh, oh. it's, a, it, it's a long one, man. I ain't going to lie. It's it's long. And uh, oh. that, that wedding scene at the beginning just seemed like it took forever. Yeah, but it was... It was it, oh. Opens it up so perfectly, you know, good times, happy times, and it's just, the, the, you know, my, my grandfather's Italian, so I kind of had a little background in this, it's all so authentic, I mean, Coppola just did such a perfect job of recreating it, I mean, that's an Italian family, I mean, everything was perfect. Right, and, uh, and I, I guess it also sets the tone, because even though it is his daughter's wedding, he's still taking care of business upstairs, you know what I mean? Well, you know, no Sicilian can refuse any request on a czar's wedding day, and no Sicilian would ever let that opportunity go by. Right. And uh, there's that one scene that I read about where, you know, the uh, the reporter or whatever's outside taking pictures or whatever, uh, trying to get a picture of them before the wedding or whatever. And that one guy just comes up and he takes the camera and he just throws it down the ground and breaks it. Then he comes back yep. and he gives the guy money and he's like, look, he's like, if you break something where I come from, you, you pay for it. <laughs> so. Yep, yep. Well, I mean, it gets, you know... They aren't going to prosecute, you know, somebody for breaking a camera. But uh, yeah, you guys, the book the book explains it so much better than what they. I mean, they, they did okay, but in the book, um, Vito, uh, the Godfather, actually tells you know Sonny to go check it out, and he goes out there. And he, they know they're FBI guys, 
and he's kind of upset with Sonny for having that emotional outburst because, you know, Vito's very calm, cool, collected. Right. But it does have a good effect because it, it explains that even though he was upset about that, he was okay with it because uh, it gave the FBI men the impression that they didn't know they were coming when, in fact, he knew all along, and he's the one that told all the senators and everybody not to come. Right. Well, and I also read that uh, that the guy wasn't supposed to grab the camera and throw it on the ground. That that was an actual shock to the guy that had the camera in this in the scene. Oh well, hey, it worked. <laughs> yeah, it, he actually they, they, it actually matched up to the book pretty well. So I mean, yeah, they they captured that. I thought pretty good. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's one thing I love is the this thing. If you actually read the book, I mean, granted, the book has a lot more sub stories and it's a, you know much more in depth, but they stay so close to it, and that's where a lot of movies go wrong, in my opinion. They stray too far from the source material. Right, and as I shared with you on Facebook Messenger, I just picked up the book yesterday. It's got a uh, new introduction by Francis Ford Coppola. So oh, okay, I'm going to check her out. I'm, I'm I'm still reading the 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 intro part, but I've heard it's a lot of good stuff in here, so I'm going to check it out. Oh, it's great. Would you say it's better than the movie? Um, I almost consider them separate entities. Because they're um, so much different? Well, they, they captured the essence of the story, and they stay close to the main plot line. All the other subsets um, in the book, that goes off into detail about Lucy Mancini, who was the girl Sonny was having an affair with. Right. And her, she goes to Vegas, and she has all this op- these operations done. She falls in love with the doctor. and But then... Godfather Part 3, she comes back and she's um, Vincent, which is uh, Anthony Garcia. I think it's his name, Anthony Garcia. Um, his mother. So he's Sonny's uh, son, illegitimate son. So they totally went different directions. So I can say I told separate entities, but they're both they're both amazing. Okay. Um, so I, I've heard a lot of people say they don't like 3. They say that it's terrible. Would you agree? Three was not as good as one and two. It was not terrible. Um, I think of the biggest problem people had problem. The biggest thing people had problems with was uh, there's a scene where um, Joe Montaigne's character he orders a hit on all the mafia bosses in this hotel with a helicopter. You know they're <laughs> so up in this, they're up this board. Up, huh? Yeah, they're up in this boardroom and you know they you know the mirrored hotel and uh, guy because of the helicopter shoots up the place, but. You know, that wasn't the greatest thing, but the character he was portraying basically was John Gotti. I mean, that was right. his, you could tell just the whiz actions and everything, and Gotti was over the top like that. So it was a little bit of a stretch, but I, I quite enjoyed the three. Three is the one that makes me cry at the very end. Every time I watch it, I've watched it two dozen times. At the end, I always get choked up. There's one scene, I won't spoil it for anybody, but there's one scene where one character does a. Um, soundless scream and every time he does that I get so choked up so would you say two is better than one I prefer one two is amazing um I kind of liked one better uh because I like the New York stuff right um whereas two they were in uh, Vegas uh, that area and that was more you know they were going back and forth to Cuba some of that stuff was neat but I, I kind of prefer one a lot of people think two is the best uh, you know, one A, one B. I think they're both equally as good. Right. Um, this this had an amazing cast in it. Um, you can tell that. Um, but what really struck me is that Marlon Brando, even though he's first bill, he only has less, than, probably right around an hour of screen time in this whole movie. And this movie right. was long. <laughs> right. And you know, and that's that's one thing that's kind of cool is that you know, all Godfather one, two, three, and the first one you can say, yeah, 
Marlon Brando was the godfather. Right. The second one is definitely Al Pacino. Third one, it's Al Pacino, but it kind of, you know, gives it away. So it right. becomes um, Anthony Garcia. Right. The, uh... Um, but, you know, that, that's one thing I like that most people don't know is, you know, that wasn't a term for a mafia chief before Mario Puzo created it. God, that term, the Godfather, was something he invented, and now it's become, you know, synonymous with, you know, mafia. Right. Um, something else I thought was pretty weird or pretty cool, whatever, when watching this is um, when the Godfather, Marlon Brando, when his, uh, he gives, basically, Sonny's wanting to take over the operation. And uh, you got Michael who doesn't want anything to do with it, but it turns out the totally the opposite way around by the end of the film, where Michael, you know, Al Pacino's character, he just basically takes it over and takes it takes full reign of it. Yeah, you know, I think it's one of the things that the one of the reasons I like it so much is that, you know it's not so much a it is a, it is a, it is a crime film. Right. But it's not about the crime. It's about a father and three sons, and you know the heir to the business, and it's. You know, it's kind of a metaphor because, you know, I know when I was a kid, I didn't want to be doing what I'm doing, even though I'm, I like my job. But it's not my dream job. But it's just kind of the way things roll, and you kind of go with it, and you do what you have to do, and you end up where you end up. Now, it's, refer- a, it's a great family story. Right. That's why I said it's, it's about the, the father and his sons. Now, refresh my memory. What happened to the second son, Fr- Frito? Fredo. Um, Fredo, um, he, if you remember, when uh, Vito gets shot. Right. He uh he was driving him because the bodyguard, of course, was you know did what he did, and uh, so he went to complete shock. Um, he was always like the toughest of the family as far as you know. Maybe Sonny was a little more hot headed. Right. But seeing he was also the one that was uh, the closest to the Don, whereas Sonny, you know was the oldest you know he respected his father but he wanted he wanted his time and michael wasn't really into any of the stuff you know he didn't you know he didn't he wasn't as closely involved fredo was he was his father's bodyguard he he the the book it actually tells you he almost viewed the god go the god the don as god right so seeing him shot down like that put him into such trauma that would they end up sending him to vegas um to recover um, the doctor wanted him to rest, and uh, so that was the best thing for them to do was get him out of the picture altogether. That's when he goes to Vegas and, of course, gets bullied by Mo, Mo Green, which seals Mo Green's fate. Right. Um, I think the three biggest scenes for me in this movie, uh, one is when, when well, we're going to talk a little bit. If you haven't watched The Godfather, this is your chance to stop before we, we go any further because when Sonny gets uh, mowed down at that uh, toll bridge or whatever, I think that's one of the greatest scenes of the film. Yeah. Just because yeah, uh, definitely. they said it was like over 200 bullets or whatever, you know, that they had to plug yep. into his, his uh, outfit or whatever. And then uh, I like that scene. And I think the scene where the guy gets choked out in the restaurant. Choked out in the restaurant. Choked out in the restaurant. Oh, uh, Luca Brasi. Yeah, they stabbed, okay. the, they stabbed the knife in his hand. And, you know, that guy comes up behind him. Yep. You know, chokes him out. And then uh, the third one, I think the one that actually was the most... Um, I guess inspire. I don't want to say inspiring, but the one that stuck with me the most is when uh, they're going to the baptism scene or whatever for their uh, grandbaby or sister or daughter or whatever, and then they start. They, they, they he just puts the hits out on all them people. Yep. And they play that music, and you know, while he's there at the church, you know, christening his baby or whatever, baptizing, then all those hits are going off. And I think that's exactly the point where he actually, you know, took over the role of the Godfather. 
You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, those are all great scenes. Um, my personal favorites are a little different. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I my, my favorite scene is I, lo- I love the um, the McCluskey and uh, um, Solo So Hit in the restaurant when Michael first you know makes his bones. Is that, I is love that, the, that. Is that the one where he tells him to go get the having the gun in the bathroom? Yep. Oh yep. yeah, that's a great scene. Um, but my favorite actual reading scene is the actual spoken scene is the scene where they're all sitting around after Michael's been punched in the face, had his face disfigured. Yeah, had his jaw and, or whatever. Yep, and he's going through their options on what they need to do about Solozo, you know, McCluskey before he kills him. And he sits there and he just lays out this perfectly cool, calculated plan. That's when I think he actually started taking over. Um that's that's when his Corleone came out, you know. It's just it right. that cool calmness, that planning, that you know, no frills. We're not joking around here. This is just what has to be done. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just what we have to. Right, but even in the even in the restaurant scene, um, I don't think he stuck to the plan, did he? Didn't he change the plan? Because wasn't he? Just... Yeah, he actually. Um, he, he was supposed to come out. He was supposed to come out guns blazing. Right. But and they actually explained this in the book. They didn't do it. That's one thing they didn't. You know, um, where he comes out, he see. You know, you got McCluskey and Soloso at the table, but behind them is is a bodyguard right. in a restaurant in a booth, and Soloso is so wily and so you know so intelligent and has such a good sixth sense about him that Michael has a feeling that if he comes out guns blazing, he's going to get destroyed. He's going to get killed. Right. Um, so by sitting down, it reassures Solozo that nothing's going on. Right. So it just calls him, called an audible. So, uh, which was your favorite of the Corleone, Corleone rivals? I got this here. We've got, uh, Solozo. We've got the, uh, Captain Mark McCluskey, who was the, of course, uh-huh. the corrupt police captain. Uh, we had uh, Jack Waltz. Uh, the, that was the film of the head, uh, film of the head, uh, head of the film studio. Then you had uh, Emilio Barzini. You had Philip Tataglia, Bruno Tataglia. Yeah, Don Tomasino. Uh, Don Tomasino. Yeah. Well, Don Tomasino wasn't a rival. He was the he was the one entrusted with Michael's care. Right. He was, a, but he was also a Sicilian crime boss too, though, right? Right, but he was on the Sicilian side. They had some friends. They, they were actually business associates. Um, that's why he agreed to hide Michael. Yeah, but but wasn't there a point where all the families were against each other at one point, right? Because if you remember, uh, I think it's uh, was it Michael or was it Sonny that goes into that? No, it was the Don, I think. And he's like, look, we, you know, we got to stop fighting. You know, we're just cutting into each other's business and all that. You know what I mean? Am I am I remembering this right? Well, yeah. After the um, well, not. Don Tomasino wasn't a part of that. He was the one in Sicily who was protecting Michael. Oh, okay. After he okay. killed McCluskey. Um, but you had Barzini and Tatalia and um, those other guys. Yeah, yeah. They all, all five families of New York lined up against um, the Coleones because they killed a police captain. Right. Because and that they were, was they just were, the not. They were cutting in on their profit of some of the drugs or something, weren't they? Right. They were, yeah. Once once you once you kill a police captain, all businesses had had to shut down because the police is you know police cracked down on it until they got their their man. Right. Because the police were actually involved in it, right? Because that one police captain was corrupt enough to help them out or something, if I remember. Right. And that's how they eventually got it. Got got the uh, the everything lifted because uh, Tom uh, started uh, releasing stuff to their newspaper friends about his shady dealings and once that came out that he was taking dirty money you know money for murder money for drugs 
that's when everything started to light, lighten up a little bit, and Cole and uh, Vito was able to uh, call that meeting to right. resolve everything. Right. But as far as my favorite, uh, I, I kind of hated them all. Um, Bartini was the <laughs> smartest, um, but I, I didn't. I don't really have a favorite villain. I I kind of was glad to see them all get destroyed. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think another cool scene was when. Uh, uh, Don is in the uh, garden with his little grand grandchild. You know, and he right. suffers that heart attack basically. And, you know that that scene was that scene was done in like one or two shots on a lunch break. They were they weren't going to have that scene because they were running out of time. And uh, Marlon Brando said, "You know, I have this little game I play with with kids where I put the oranges in my mouth and kind of scare them." And he said, "Let's take a you know they, they, they took one or two cameras out to this you know set uh, on a lunch break." And they shot it then. That scene was actually not going to be in the movie. It was actually just going to be, you found out about the Don's death at the funeral. Yeah. Well, uh, something else you may not know is uh, pretty much anytime there's an orange in this movie, somebody's dying. Oh, I, I haven't noticed that, but yeah. it makes sense, yeah. Yeah, the oranges, you know, like the very, you know, when he first gets, uh, the Don gets uh, shot, he's going over there to that fresh fruit or whatever, you know, pulling an orange or whatever. Right. He gets shot there. Um, basically, if you if you go back and look at all the the murder scenes or whatever shooting scenes where somebody dies, yeah, now, always going to say something at the very beginning of the wedding scene. They show um, um, uh, um, Tessio, who ends up being the traitor. They showed him picking up an orange off the table and tossing right. it in the air and catching it. Yep. Yeah, you're all right. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. That was something I found out when I was doing some research. When uh, when you were researching, did you watch any of the the making of type things about uh, no, it? No, 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 I didn't. It I was didn't. amazing all the stuff Coppola went through. They did first of all, he didn't really want to make this movie. Oh no, he was he he was about you know small more you know different different type of films, but they couldn't find anybody to make this movie, and so they finally um, George Lucas told him, "Hey, make this movie, take the money, and then we can take that money and make the movies we want to make." Right, I read that. And I read then, that in my research, but I didn't get to watch yep. anything. And then every single person they he wanted, they didn't. The studio didn't want. Paramount said Marlon and Brenda would never be in one of their movies, and they didn't want. They wanted um, Robert Redford to be uh, Michael, and they they hated Pacino. That's oh yeah. One of the things Coppola talks about is trying to rush to get that scene in with um, where he. Uh, guns down McCluskey yeah, because he said if he knew that if he got that scene filmed they'd be alright with Pacino and they'd leave him alone right Pacino said he was scared that he was going to get fired <laughs> oh yeah on a daily basis right. he expected he to be scared. fired because they hated him right um, yeah and then uh, see Francis Ford uh, he wasn't very much known as a uh, director at this time but once this film came out man everybody would recognize him on the street and everything after that yeah I actually saw something new last night because I knew you were going to be calling so I put in my uh DVD with extras and watched a couple things. Oh, nice. And Steven, Steven Spielberg actually said in the interview on there that once he saw The Godfather, he got depressed and almost quit making movies because he knew he could never capture that type of emotion and everything on screen. Oh, yeah. That's how, that's how he felt at the time. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, I can see where it became one of the, uh, usually if you look on a list, it's, it's definitely in the top ten. Sometimes it's in the top five, you know what I mean, yep. of the greatest movies of all time. And it's it so influential. Has, yeah, it definitely has the actors and, and actresses in it. Yep, and it's like it's, it's so influential. I mean, you wouldn't have the Sopranos if you didn't have the Godfather, right? That was the whole premise of the Sopranos was the first generation of mafia mafia members who had, were influenced by the Godfather. That was the whole point of the show, right? And there's also. And, um, um, oh, go ahead. And if you look at the 
monster movies before and after The Godfather. Before it was all these guys are villains; they're, they have to die at the end. They you know you look know, public enemy and stuff like that back in the day. It was you know totally different. Whereas mafia movies after that, everything is shown more like it is in the real world, which is shades of gray. Right. I mean, these guys aren't necessarily. I mean, they're bad guys. They do things that are terrible, but they have their reasons it's not like they're just out to kill everybody for no good reason if you get hit if you get a hit put on you by the mob there's a reason oh yeah <laughs> you know so it kind of shows them more in a human light and that's since the godfather every mafia movies had that to it right so it totally totally changed the genre the um one thing uh, the mafia did try to get them to stop this movie from being made I was doing some research. Yeah, I heard something about that, but I can't remember. Yeah, I got it in my notes. I'll, I'll cover it in the episode, but, it, I mean, there's like 30 pages here of notes or more. Um, also, the um, uh, they said, they said uh, it's in the notes, I can't remember exactly who, but they're saying that actually some of the mafia or mobsters actually worked on set. Oh, I wouldn't doubt it. Cause, uh, I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, one of the guys asked, um, I, I know it's in the notes, but they asked him, do you know how to hold that revolver? He's like, yeah, I know how to hold it. <laughs> so yeah, definitely. Like I said, it's not surprising. It's like I said, they they were very authentic and everything they tried to. And, and you know, the one thing that irritates me is Paramount when they first wanted to make this movie, they wanted to make it a period piece take place in the seventies. I think if they had done that, that movie would have been a flop. I think it would have been terrible. Oh yeah. I think it had to be exactly what it was. Yep, and and the attention to detail that uh, Coppola put in there, man. Even like the uh, you know signs and the scenery and the newspaper articles right. and the the movie that uh, Michael and his wife go see. Uh, yep, it was all there. Yep, I think yeah, it was, was the, the bell, the bells of St. Mary. I think was the name of the movie. Yep, I think so. I think you're right. Um, yeah, and that's like I said, man. It's, to me, it's the perfect film. It's it's got everything. It's got romance. It's got violence. It's got drama. You know, yeah. it, has, it has some funny moments. There's some moments that made me laugh. Um, <laughs> I know you weren't impressed with the horse's head in the bed, but uh, you know, it made sense. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was okay. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I know it was his prized horse and everything. <laughs> it, probably, it was expensive yep. too. I know. And once you read the book, that'll explain that a little more too. It doesn't it won't give anything away, but Walt realizes. You know he. When he first wakes up, he's pissed. He calls Tom Hagen and just cusses him out and threatens him. And then he sits there and thinks about it. You know, if they're willing to kill this, you know, half a million dollar, $800,000, whatever it was, horse, without even negotiation, you know, without even a chance to save his life, he knew that they would stop. They would not think twice about killing him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And do you know that that was a real horse head they used? Yeah, that, I, re- I heard it smelled awful after yeah. they, they had to shoot they got it, it over like, several hours in the heat. Yeah, they got it from like some meat market or whatever, and everybody was upset with them that they were using a real horse. And I was like, well, yeah. you uh, know. The horse was already dead. Right. Um, the horse was already dead. So go ahead and give me go ahead and give me your uh, three top favorite movies of all time. Uh, the Godfather. Um, One, two, Shawshank three. Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Shawshank Redemption. Oh, that's a good movie. That's movie. I can, if it comes on TV, I'm sitting down. If I, I don't care what part I catch it, I'm going to watch it. Um, number three is kind of a toss-up depending on what movie, what mood, uh, mode I'm in. Um, like if comedies, it's going to sound terrible. Billy Madison is my favorite comedy of all time. <laughs> a Nightmare on Elm Street. 
I love Billy Madison. It's so that, stupid, I, but it's so hilarious. I just sat down right before you call, or I called you. I just finished the notes for A Nightmare on Elm Street, so that one's coming up soon. Yep, that's my favorite horror movie of all time. The, the Robert England ones. Right, My right, favorite right. of all time, yeah. Um, so, number three fluctuates, but one and two are definitely The Godfather and Shawshank. I can sit down anytime and watch those. So, so maybe, the Green Mi- maybe The Green Mile. Oh, I, like, I love The Green Mile. That's a good one. I love anything Stephen King. Oh, yeah. So, I, I love The Stand, the TV series. That was fantastic. Yep. Um, the, you know, the, the original It had its... You know, it, the original It was great until oh, yeah. they got to the end. They, but they're, the way the book is, there's no way they can film that easily. I'm interested to see what they do in part two of the new one because everything like the in the book one? is all uh, – I love the new one. Oh, I didn't yeah. like the way it ended. Um, I wish they would stuck a little closer to the novel, but, right. you know, it is what it is. Like I said, the Stephen King books are just so hard to shoot. They're so in-depth. It's like my favorite book of all time besides The Godfather is 112263. That miniseries was terrible. Is that, is that the one about the JFK assassination? Yeah, where he goes back in time. Right. Um, I wanted to read that. I heard I heard good things about it, but I heard the, uh, the miniseries wasn't that good. No, I got my wife to read that book, actually, and she agreed. We were looking like – we both think that the, the person who who uh, made the miniseries just kind of looked at the book cover and maybe a synopsis and just kind of came up with a show of, you know, a series off that because it was nothing like the book. Right. All right. I mean, it was, so who would you say is your favorite actor and actress? Um, I have three favorite actors: Al Pacino, um, Tom Hanks, oh, and Tom, Leonardo DiCaprio. Tom Hanks is fantastic. Tom Hanks, and if if Tom Hanks is in it, if Leonardo DiCaprio is in it, I'm watching it, and I guarantee it's going to be a good movie. <laughs> um, I especially love. I can't wait to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because I loved, I loved him and uh, Tarantino working together in Django. Oh. I mean, that was just amazing. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> not to get off on a side side thing here, but I was watching. Uh, I was reading something the other day about uh about Django. Um, this I don't know if you did you see that movie? Is that the, the Django Unchained or whatever? Yes, yeah, with uh, Jamie Foxx, where he when he's yelling at, when he's got them at the table at the end by gunpoint and he's uh, sawing the skull open, right. he actually slipped and sliced his hand open. Um, or no, he, no, excuse me, he didn't. He didn't do that. He, what he did was when he was yelling at him, he slams his hand on the table. Well, he slams his hand on the table, the glass rolled under his hand and smashed and cut his hand open. And so all that blood in his in in that scene from his hand was real. And Leonardo DiCaprio didn't even call cut or anything. He just kept rolling. Uh-huh. And that whole scene was shot with his hand, you know, bleeding terribly. Right. And he, you know, just kept going. That's I think he's one of the best actors in Hollywood. Did you, um, for sure. Did you like The Departed? Uh, yes. Departed was very good. And, and very, what was the good. one where he was... Uh... Uh, like up in the wilderness, like hunting bears or something. The Revenant. Yeah. Did you like that one? Yep. Oh yes. I finally got to see that one a few months ago. Like I said, since my kids were born, I'm kind of behind on the times. Oh right, right, right. So I'm, I've, had, I've actually owned that movie since it came out on DVD, but I never watched it. And I finally got around to watching it. And yeah, it was, it was, it was really good. And I think that was based on a true story. Uh, loosely based, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean loosely, but I mean that you know right. that I've heard on uh, that story before. So who, um, who's your favorite actress then? Or do you got three of those two? No. Um, I used to really like Angelina Jolie. I think the last few of her films have not been great. Right. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I love Reese Witherspoon. Uh, I, 
she's okay. She's not one of my favorites. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think I've been. I think I've been forced to watch too many of her rom coms, and right. it's just kind of messed me up. There's only so much of this character she can play. And me deal too, with. man. Me too. Um, I mean, if I'm gonna have to enjoy it, I'm gonna enjoy it, right? <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah. But I, I love. Uh, I love what's that? She was in Red. Um, I I always like Nicole Kidman too. I thought she does a good job. Yeah, other stuff, but what is what? Um, uh, Helen Mirren. Who is it? I think it's Helen Mirren. And what's she name? playing? I think, if I'm not mistaken, she was the one in Red, correct? Ah, man, I don't know. Uh, it's kind of an older British lady. Hmm. I think she played Sarah Winchester in that movie. Oh, okay, in the in the Winchester movie. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet, but usually yeah. she's in it. It's pretty good. Yeah, I've seen that one. Okay, I know who you're talking about now. All right, you also said that you liked Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Yes. Okay. That's one of my favorite classic movies. Okay, so I've got that on the list. Now, is there any other older movies that you think pe- people should see? Um, I'm talking like black and white era, you know what I mean? Right. Public Enemy, I think, is worth a watch. Um, God, test my knowledge. It's been a while since I've watched anything <laughs> that old. Um the one movie I don't understand is Citizen Kane. I'm sorry. I tried. You know, I, I, I watched I, it. Yeah. I just watched the the trailer for it because I was like, you know, this is number one rated on every every, every, every list. It's rated. It's number one. And I right. just, I don't get it. Um, I guess to I'm going to have very to, dull. I guess I'm about to give it a watch, man, and put it on the podcast yeah. to see what people apparently, think. Apparently but. people love it. I guess I'm just not one of them. But generally, if everybody likes a movie, I'm kind of, and I like a lot of the movies people do. I like, I, I liked, um, uh, what was that movie everybody hated with John Travolta where they played the alien? Oh, Battle for uh, Earth. Yeah, everybody hated that movie, and I thought it was okay. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're okay. And, uh, you know, if, if you – I don't – how old are you? Uh, 33. Okay, I don't know if you're old enough to remember. Do you remember uh, Siskel and Ebert, the movie critics that used to come on TV? On, yeah. yeah. I would watch them, and they would just – they would just bash the movies that I just mm-hmm. loved, and then they would say, oh, this is a masterpiece. I was like, this is like the worst movie I've ever seen. Yeah, I think a lot of the critics forget that movies are supposed to entertain you first because a lot of the movies they love are just dull. I mean, I'm sorry, there's just it has to hold my attention first and foremost, and a lot of them don't. Right. Um, the class, I don't, it's not black and white, but Spartacus, oh, I yeah. think, was a great movie. Oh, yeah. um, Did you see Ben Hur? Yes, Ben Hur was. Oh, I love Ben Hur. Ben Hur was a great movie. Yeah, I want to um, do that one too. I think <laughs> uh, Clash of the Titans. I loved Clash of the Titans. Yeah, I never saw that one. The I original, never saw that one. The original, not the remake. Although, although now that as a grown person watching Ben Hur, I think I watched it probably six months ago when it was on TV. I was like, you know, this, there's a lot of a uh, lot of guy on guy in this movie. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's Roman. So I mean, I guess if, 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 try to make it realistic. <laughs> yeah, that that I didn't really care for the new one. Um, I, I I hate it when they. It's like if they if they said, okay, we're gonna go back and remake The Godfather. You would be upset, wouldn't you? Yeah, they don't need the. Uh, there's some <laughs> movies you just don't touch. Right, and uh, I just think Hollywood. I think they're running out of ideals, and they don't want to produce anything. They don't want to take chances anymore, and they just want to keep re, re you know, regurgitating that stuff. That some we've already movies. Seen. There have been some improvements, um, especially, but more not so much the dramatic movies. Um, science fiction movies, horror movies, sometimes they can be improved. I actually watched the new Pet Cemetery yesterday for the first time. How was and it? And I actually, I preferred it to the old one. Really? I, 
I've, I've seen the old one a dozen times because, like I said, I love Stephen King stuff, but I think the new one was better. They switched a few things around, but it actually made the movie more enjoyable. How did, uh, how did, was it John Lithgow? Yeah, he how, was the best, he, he was the best character. Yeah, he was, he was excellent. Because he has big shoes to fill, you know what I mean? Yeah, oh, he literally, yeah. literally. Well, but, I'm, uh, I won't keep you, Sam. I know you, you got little ones at home and it's pretty late. Um, and uh, no, that's one more thing, real quick. Um, no, go for it. As a side, as a side note, y'all should do a uh, either for Patreon or just on the side, and a you know, adults only tragedy of cinema. <laughs> so you can address movies like uh, you know the Tarantino movies because you can't you couldn't do that. If, you right. couldn't do any Tarantino movie in a family friendly environment. Kind of like the tragedy of cinema <laughs> unleashed. There you go, something like that. <laughs> well, something, and you like, cover some of those movies that you can't cover on this show. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm I'm thinking about it. Um, the Godfather's pushing it because there's some scenes in here that you know aren't very family friendly either. Yeah, but it, you know, yeah, it was rated R for the 19 was the 1978, right. I believe, 77. I guarantee if that movie was made today exactly how it was, it'd be rated PG. <laughs> <laughs> well, something that something I've been tossing around the idea was to do like a watch along. Basically, where we uh, tell you to hit play, and we would watch the movie and do commentary and stuff while kind of like the old Mystery Science Theater 3000, you know? Right. But we, right. Went, yeah, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't put any audio in on our end. We would watch the movie basically without sound and just, you know, commentate as they go along. That's something yeah, I've been tossed around for Patreon. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. I, I'm trying to think of some other stuff. I definitely want to hear one of those. I would definitely want to hear those done as Tarantino. For Tarantino. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's some stuff I'm tossing around. You know, it takes a lot of time, man. Or Rob Zombie movies. Do a couple of those on the like <laughs> Yeah, that. what was that? The Thousand Corpses? House of a Thousand Corpses? Uh, I do Devil's Rejects. It was a better film. <laughs> yeah. Probably, probably, probably people are going to not like that, but uh, I prefer Devil's Rejects. I can't wait for this new one to come out next month. Oh, yeah. I heard it. I heard some good things about that one, but we'll see. <laughs> yep. All right. Anything else? Would you like to shout out anybody you work with or any of your friends or anything? Your wife? Kids? Anything? No. No. You know, I've tried. Who's I've like, really tried to get people to listen to podcasts. I can't get them. I can't get anybody into podcasts. I've tried my heart out. <laughs> they don't understand because uh, once they start, they, they won't stop. They'll be going down the, you know, I, we, I started with Jerry and Tracy. You know what I mean? A guy at work was like, you need yep. to check these guys out. You like, you like, you know, some spooky stuff or whatever. I was like, yeah, because <clears throat> I had never listened to a podcast before. And I uh, pretty much started off with Jerry and Tracy, and man, like what, 158 episodes later, I'm still still into them. So, oh was, yeah, I've been listening to them for a couple of years now, for Ohio for a couple of years, and it's just it's, it's uh, I love it. But I'm in, I work for, I'm a lineman for a cable company, so I'm in my truck a lot driving in between jobs. So I can't, and I can't listen to the radio and hear the same 20 songs all day. Right. So. After a while, I just got tired of hearing music. I was like, let me see if I can find something else. And I stumbled upon them, and it's just been – I haven't turned back. I mean, I'm going to these podcast events, and I'm, like, addicted now. Right. Like, I drive two hours one way to work and then two hours back the uh, another way. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I was just like, man, this is great stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I need so, I need stories to entertain me, and I can't I can't just sit here and listen to music all day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because that gets real boring, too. Yep. All right, Sam. Well, thanks for everything you do for the podcast. Thanks for becoming a Patreon. Yeah, no worries. Um, so, you know, we'll see where this thing goes. I enjoy doing it. To me, it's a it's it's more of a hobby than it is work. You know what I mean? Because I enjoy mm-hmm. movies. I've always enjoyed movies. So I just came up with this yeah, idea one day, and here we are. So definitely. Oh, um, 
for the Unleashed. You have to do South Park movie just so I can hear you say, oh, Terrence. <laughs> I know that's something you wanted me to do for a long time. What color is the wind? <laughs> no, I, we're just going to blame Canada. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, Sam. Well, I hope you have a good rest of the night. I'll talk at you later. All right. Sounds good, man. Bye. All right. Later, bro. All right, so there you had it. Sam, thanks for coming on and doing that interview. Um, one thing that I, uh, that we used to do that I finally found some salaries Oh, for this. It's go. been a long time since we found <laughs> salaries for a movie, and I always check. Yeah. So here we go. No, no, okay. <laughs> Let's just break this down. If I said who would be the top two people that you thought would be paid the most for this movie, who would you pick? Brando. Top two. Okay, so, so I'd obviously say, Brando. Yeah, yeah, Brando for sure. Um, second billing would be hard. Like as as far as I would say, um, Pacino. You going with Pacino? Yeah, I'll go with Pacino. All right, here we go. Salaries. Probably not because no one would <laughs> like them. <laughs> These three people made thirty five thousand dollars. Okay. Only thirty five thousand dollars. Yeah. Diane Keaton. Okay. James Caan, and Al Pacino. Oh wow! Okay. Thirty five thousand. Yeah. Robert Duvall made $36,000 for only eight weeks. Oh, wow. Here we go. Marlon Brando. He got $50,000 for six weeks of work, which included weekly expenses of $1,000. Plus, he got 5% of the film, which had a cap at $1.5 million. Dang. So, uh, so he made out. Right, but... You got to remember, though, that's also taking a risk, too. That is. Um, yeah, sometimes sure. people go for percentages of the movie. And then the, the movie flops. Right. But then again, they also had a cap on it, too. So he didn't really yeah, make out so as well as, some, as, as he could have. Because he could have been <laughs> really, really well. And if that situation really wasn't well there, yeah. Off. All right, guys. So this is a little bit longer episode because we threw in some of those audio clips uh, in the interview. But fun um, all the same. Oh, yeah. Fun the same. <laughs> um, me and Terrence have been kicking around the ideal uh, next week. We think it's finally time to bring in the slasher films. So yep. next week we're going to be focusing on A Nightmare on Elm Street. So if you want to give that a watch before we uh, oh before, uh, before, before we, we do that, out. what's your thoughts on the movie though? Exactly, I was getting there. <laughs> I, Good segue. Uh, so <laughs> slasher film, I'll tell you know, right? slasher film. Now what's your thoughts on this movie? All right. Uh, so obviously I love this movie. Uh, it's a great movie. Like I said, it's timeless, it's hugely influential, and giving it a rewatch was fun, uh, and I'll, I'll watch it many more times in the future, too. It's, it's one of my... I, I do like a lot of like mob films, gangster films, but this is one of my favorites. Uh, so yeah, great. And if especially if you like mob films and you haven't seen this one, I super recommend you see it. If you haven't seen it, it works as a drama. It works as a bit of a sort of... Um, psychological thriller in a way you know what i mean um really more of a drama though right right well uh, uh attesting because this was my first time actually watching it yeah. through um you can say gangster film yeah. film and film but to me it was much more than that and as you heard in our interview i touched on it a little bit with sam um to me it was more of a family film yeah no um, absolutely about a, a father and his sons you know um Coming together, and it's also kind of like old values clashing with new values, right? And 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 the thing that for me was that um, Al Pacino, uh, Michael, he he didn't want anything to do with his family. Yeah. You know, he didn't want to be in the family business. He was trying to break away, but by the end of the movie, he's taken over, and he's just yep. you know. Um, 
There was also, um, I read that the scene where Michael comes in and uh, he's talking to Vito after he got shot or whatever, yeah. you know, and he's, he's like, I'll, I'll take over the family business or whatever, you know, that those are real tears that Marlon Brando's crying. Oh, um, yeah, just because, I mean, I guess they grew so close together, you know, on the film. Yeah. Um, so to me, it was more, yeah, it's got the action, it's got the killing, oh, yeah, it's got all that, but to me, it went so much deeper as a drama as far as uh, the fills for the emotion. Yeah. So that's my take on it. Um, I would say, if you have never seen it like I haven't, um, watching it for the first time, you were just so enthralled. Like it holds up. Yeah, you're yeah. like, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, and then uh, there's just you knew something was going down with Sonny. I mean, he, oh, he was just yeah. too hot headed, and you know, right. Um, but then you know when Marlon Brando's like he 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 gets all the crime lords together, and he's like, you, this has got to stop. You know, you yeah, know, my, not my boy, leave my boy alone or whatever. You know. Um, also, uh, I think you heard Sam talk about it. I'll throw this in here at the end: is uh, that uh, the scene where um, Marlon Brando dies in this movie? Spoiler yeah. alert: um, he's in the garden or in the wines or the the, the vineyard, yeah, the vineyard, yeah. right? And uh, his little granddaughter's out there, and he's playing with her, and you know they're playing hide and seek or yep. whatever. And he has that heart attack uh, and basically dies. Yeah, um, that was all improvised on a lunch break. Oh wow! Right? Okay, all the whole scene. Wow. Uh, was lunch prize. Uh, Sam said he was watching some of the extras on the DVD and all that. Yeah, and he that interview is really good. Um, yeah, but all that was improvised over just a lunch break. That's um, also, they said that they they had to try to keep um, when he did his death scene that they had to mm. try to keep all they had 150 limousines and all that for the death scene. And they had to film it at a location where if everybody seen him filming, they knew what was going to happen in the movie. Oh yeah, so they tried sure. to keep it hush hush too. So. <laughs> but yeah, to get back on hand. Um, yeah, it was a great movie. I Do mean, you recommend it? Yeah, yeah, I'd recommend. I mean, it, like now, it was just on be the... forewarned: there is some language, there is some blood and guts. If you don't like that yeah. stuff, yeah. And this is a hard art and, for sure. And and when Lots Michael gets and when Michael gets married to that girl and the nudity scene, just yep. you might want to fast forward because she is only sixteen. In this movie. You know, yeah, that, yeah. You know, watch so that. You're like, this is not good. Not right. So, but the Al Pacino's acting in this man, I, top oh, notch, yeah. top notch. Uh, Marlon Brando. He was okay, but you know, for being first build actor, he was only in there for about an hour, maybe yeah. less than an hour. Al Pacino really stole it, and I really like Sonny. <laughs> just oh, Sonny's yeah. out of you know, and, uh, just a lot of good scenes in this movie, a lot of spoofs, um, fantastic. And if you haven't read the book, read I'm the in book. the I'm in the middle of reading the book right now. It's good, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so you got anything else to add to that? That's everything, man. All right. So, like I said before, before I forgot to this, I always usually forget this part these days. <laughs> I'm getting old. Um, we will be doing a Nightmare on Elm Street next week. Yep. Um, also, um, supposedly this Thursday, we will. I have a special guest coming over. We will be doing our first sports movie. Okay. So, depending on if we can do that. Um, I also have another sports guy lined up, but his uh, grandpa just died, so I don't oh, know. Yeah, okay, yeah, we yeah. might have to wait a while on that one. Condolences, so, Dwayne. Um, he's the one that sent us the list of all the movies by. Okay, so, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, thoughts to you, buddy. Um, you can reach us at the tragedy of cinema, all one word at gmail.com. <clears throat> you can leave us a review on iTunes. Um, and please leave us a five, uh, if you can leave us a five star right. on um, iTunes. Cause what that does is that helps us get more exposure. The more five star reviews we have, or the more, you know, four or five star reviews we have, the more chance we have of being seen, uh, then we get more, more viewers. And then obviously that would include us, you know, producing, uh, you know, more and better content right. um, just because, you know, we can catch that, those Patreons. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool to watch um, 
the downloads just keep going up. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> here we are, two just two just two little guys here in Indianapolis. You know, what I mean, just doing a, exactly. a fun a fun show, and yet now we're going worldwide. It's pretty amazing, and it's fun. Oh yeah. And uh, speaking of Patreon, you can find us on Patreon. The tragedy of cinema. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So you can um, find us on Patreon, uh, and then you can find our. Well, what you'll get through that is. Uh, once we film more of it, we'll, our Real Talk episodes will be accessible through Patreon. Yeah, I think we're going to give one more uh, free listen of the Real Talk, um, just so people can see what it's about. If you haven't listened to it, go back and listen. We had actually Kyle, who's poor guy suffering from a kidney stone uh, since last night. Um, he came on after our War of the World, uh, uh, not War of the World, the Day the Earth Stood Still yep. episode, and stayed over and did our first Real Talk. Um, it's where we just... it's it's. It, it's a fun the, time. The handcuffs come off, and we talk about anything we want. <laughs> um, we we don't hold back. <laughs> so, yeah, we talk about everything. Yeah. Like, that's so the, we we talked about like the Little Mermaid being an African, a young African American. Yep. Uh, we talked about the genie being blue and Aladdin. I yep. mean, we went. We just went all kinds of directions. Talked about we talked Netflix. about Netflix. <laughs> we talk, yeah, we talked. <laughs> we about came streaming. full circle. We right. talked about everything. So it was fun. So uh, make sure you go back and give that episode a listen. Um, if this is your first time listening, thanks for joining us. Uh, hopefully, you stick with us. And uh, from going on out, if you like this episode, this is probably more of the type of that we'll do where it's more interactive yeah. and all that. Instead of me just go, you know, boring. <laughs> I mean, I listened to one the other day and I about bored myself to tears. So I wanted to, I wanted to change it up a little bit. Um, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, we have the Tragedy of Cinema Facebook group, uh, podcast group. Something oh, like just speaking a, of Facebook, we did have our first live uh, feed. We show. did. We had uh, our that was f- on Friday, right? and that is still on Facebook. If you'd like to see it, oh, we actually it was on Saturday. It was on Saturday, and yeah. we uh, we actually gave away some prizes for trivia. Um, it was good interaction. We even called some people while we were yeah. here, so <laughs> it was fun. Um, we'll definitely find us on future, yeah. find us on Instagram, Twitter, um, the, the Tragedy of Cinema. Um, so. Yeah, just reach out to us. Um, if you have an episode you would like to see us cover, a movie, uh, send me an email, uh, thetragedycinema at gmail.com, uh, or you can put it on the Facebook group. Um, we, probably better is to get on the, the email so I can add you to the list because there's several people that are on the list waiting. Um, so, I'd like to, again, I'd like to say thank you to all our Patreon supporters. Uh, thanks for listening to us. And I think that this episode is coming to a close, and I think that's a wrap. Yep. And, and cut. cut.